Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guest today is Janessa Watcott, and she has gone through, hands down, the most difficult thing that any mother could possibly go through, and that's the loss of a child. Uh, Janessa, thank you so much for just being willing to share your story, and could you tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, so um, thanks for having me. I have, um, I've been married to my husband, and we met like on a blind date, and um, we started to have kids a couple years after that, and we have had um, five sons born to us. So all boys, kind of a all boy mom. Yeah, it was. I never thought I would be an all boy mom, but now <laughs> I love it, and I can't imagine having a daughter. Like yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm sure it would be fun, but I love being an all boy mom. It's yeah, it, it is funny. I remember. So my oldest is a boy and I have a lot of girls in my family growing up. And I thought, I don't know how to take care of a boy. And now I have a son and a daughter and I'm like, oh, my boy is so easy. And I, I love boys. <laughs> as so. long as you can like learn to laugh at like their dumb silliness stuff. Yes. Kind of like throw the messes to the side. Like they really are just they're hilarious. Yeah. They're just funny. So yeah. it's been, it's great. I love being a mom. So where did Nixon fall in your family? So we have, so my oldest um, is 13. Mm-hmm. And then after he was born, when he was two, we had another little baby. Um, and he actually passed away due to um, just some complications when he was in development. Oh. And so then we have our next son is 11, and then we have Nixon, Mm -hmm. and then we have Nixon would be eight, and then our next son is five. Okay. All right. Um, So Nixon, tell us a little bit about him, his personality, what he was like. Nixon, he's just, I don't, he was um, just brilliant like just shining he's the type of kid that loved like artsy crafty like hands-on things to legos to sports to like every extreme i remember christmases were like what should we get this kid what should we get this kid with nixon it was like his list was so long because he wanted everything and anything from like kitchen he loved to cook (laughs) so he wanted a play kitchen to a navy football uniform like it was just the biggest extreme and so it was he was always such a joy because he just loved everything yeah yeah when did you first notice that something was going on with him so um in the probably in january of 2018 he had been complaining about like leg pain and so I talked to other moms, like we were, he was playing basketball at the time and um, was wrestling. So I thought maybe he like tweaked it, like when he yeah. was wrestling or, you know, playing with his brothers or up and down the basketball court. So I asked some other moms and they're like, yeah, that's probably growing pains. My um, other sons had growing pains. And so it sounds similar to that kind of pain during the night, typical like that. And then after a couple of weeks, he would get pain like randomly throughout the day. 
or it would get worse where he would like cry. And I'm like, I know garden pains are bad, but not that bad. So mm-hmm. we decided to finally um, take him in. We are supposed to be going down to St. George for a baseball tournament. And I just made a quick appointment with my doctor. I'm like, I'd just rather go in, have it get checked, know it's his brain, and then just not have him, you know, be in pain and be miserable while we're traveling. So sure, and put your mind at some, ease. Yeah, totally. So um, we are going into the doctor's appointment, and I saw one of my friends who was there with her kids, and I'm like, I'm just paying $25 to have them say it's okay, because I think as a mom, it seems like that all the time. You're like, should I take them in? Is it a cold? Is it a virus? Is it a bacteria? And it's like 99% of the time you take them in, they're like, there's nothing we can do. Just yeah. go on your way. And it is a little frustrating when you when you do that, and you're like, uh, I had to pay this copay, and you feel kind of stupid sometimes, like... Oh, this wasn't a big deal. Maybe I'm overreacting. I've had those thoughts as a mom. Yes, totally. That's exactly it. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to pack to get out of town. Right. I'm going to drop $25. Ah. So anyways, we go in and kind of explain to our doctor what's been going on. And so he's like, well, let me just take an x-ray of his knee. Maybe he has like a hairline fracture or something like that. And so I'm like, okay, really? Like a hairline fracture? Like, yeah. this is so dumb. So um, we go and luckily they have like an x-ray on site. And so we go in and um, just his x-ray done. And it is, um, so this was in, let's see, February. So it's been a couple of weeks and it's cold and flu season. So of course it's like packed and waiting for him and waiting for him in the doctor's room. And so then um, my doctor comes in and he's like, hey, can I show you the x-rays out here? And I'm like, okay, you know. Yeah. And so I had our, I had Nixon and then our other youngest with me at the time, Jet. And so I had them sit there and play with my phone. And so I go back and um, I, at this point, I'd known our doctor, our pediatrician for about eight years, nine, no, longer than that, like nine or 10 years. And so I know him pretty well. And he comes over and he shows me and he's like, see this part right here is right above Nixon's kneecap. There's like this white part. And he's like, that's a tumor. And I was like, okay, like, okay, we'll just take it cut out and remove it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a big deal. And he kind of looks at me and I'm like, well, is this something I should be serious about? And he's like, or like, you know, is this something I should be worried or concerned about? Like, and he just kind of had like, tears in his eyes and he's like you you probably need to go to primary children's right away and I'm like what is the big deal and he's like it could be cancerous and I'm like I didn't I just didn't ring with me I'm like kids don't get cancer in their bones like at the time the only cancer I knew of with kids was like leukemia right and so I was like okay and so he's like why don't you just hang tight um let me try to get some calls up to primaries and then I'll let you know what's going on so at that point I got my kids and I contacted my husband who was on his way home from work and we were just like okay we're just supposed to wait and see if we're supposed to go to primaries and get this looked out checked out and it's just kind of weird like so was it it real panicked at that point or were you just like oh this is probably gonna turn out to still be nothing at all yeah there was no panic at all it's just kind of like okay so um, we finally got a call, and they're like, yeah, the doctor said, you need to go up to primaries, have this looked at, um, and probably plan on staying the night. So I'm like, okay. So we run home, pack a bag, we arrange for our kids to be taken, my other son to go down to St. George with somebody else, and it was just 
it was just weird because I'm like, why are they making such a big deal out of this? Like, I couldn't understand, like, what the intensity was. Mm-hmm. So we um, go and we check in at primaries and they send us up to oncology. And I didn't even know what oncology was. I'm like, I saw, like, you know, bone like the bone cancer and like blood stuff. And I was like, oh, they must be like overflowed, like at your normal patient room. Oh, <laughs> so that's why they sent there. you there. Yeah. Yeah. I had no, no idea whatsoever. It wasn't even like registering with me. So. And had you talked to up, Nixon about what was going on or explained anything to him at this point? Why you were going up yeah, there? So we just told him, we're like, hey, they did an x-ray. It looks like there's something wrong with your leg so we're going to go up to this other hospital and they're going to do some more tests just to see what's wrong so we can make it your leg will stop hurting right so throughout everything with Nixon we were pretty um vague about it because one like he was six when he got cancer Mm -hmm. and so that's a lot to take in as a little kid we didn't we didn't really understand a lot that was going on and so we didn't want to like cause him a lot of like panic sure so he came home. We're like, we're going to go have a sleepover at the hospital so they can get you started first thing in the morning. Like, he was so cute. He packed his little bag, all of his little stuffed animals. Like, he was like, this is great. And so we were able to go up there, and they did a couple tests. Um, but it wasn't until the next day that they were able to do, like, MMR, or MRIs, CT scans, all these big tests. And um, so the following morning, probably afternoon, actually, we got – all the results and they come in to your room and there's all these doctors and you're just like, like mind just like, okay, like what's going on. And that's when they tell us, um, Nixon has, he has, um, cancer in his, well, he has a tumor. They didn't say cancer at first. They said they have it. He has a tumor in his leg and it's a pretty large tumor. And, um, we're going to take him into surgery and get a biopsy of it to see if it's cancerous. And then from there, we'll figure out if we need to put in something called a port where he would, they would use it to access to get his chemotherapy medication. And we're like, okay, so he's scheduled to go into this surgery. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, these people are so over the top. Like, yeah, it's not cancerous. They'll just cut the tumor out and we will move on our way. Well, I mean, those, those people at the oncology, they're like angels. They... They know. They know what they see. They see this stuff all the time. And so for them, it's like, yes, yes, yes. But they were so patient and understanding where I'm like, why are we doing all this? Right. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of times our brains just kind of naturally protect ourselves, too, where it's just like, I don't know. You just kind of want to go to that denial place because it's safer, you know, and you never think that something like this is going to happen to you or your family. That's always something you... I don't know, it just happens to other people. So I think it's really hard to grasp that, even if maybe you kind of know in your gut or there's some signs that something's wrong, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. So he goes into his surgery and um, to get the biopsy and the surgeon comes out to talk to us. And he was like, I guess they can kind of do like a quick test and then they can do a longer test to send it out. But he said after the quick test results, it is cancerous. And we're like, oh, okay, it's cancerous. And um, so then we had to sit down and meet with them. And so they were putting the port in him. So um, we were talking to this other surgeon while they were doing that. And he was telling us because it's cancerous in his whole femur, 
we're going to have to amputate his leg. And we're like, what? So immediately like, they, they knew that that was the road they were going to have to go down. Yep, immediately from day one. And we oh. were just, I didn't understand, like, you know, you can't just cut your bone out. It won't just regrow, you know, like a right. tissue or something. So I was like, what? Like, just oh. mind-blowing from, like, two days ago, you know, running up and down the basketball court to he's going to have his leg amputated. And we're like, he's got to be kidding me. And so oh. he, um, right away... We asked him about different amputations and things, you know, what to do at that point. And he told us about this amputation called a rotation plasty. And he suggested for like, just be honest, like if this was your kid, what would you do? Because you just don't know at that point. I mean, you're making these life decisions and you have no previous knowledge of what to do. And so he said, I would, I would do a rotation plasty on him. So, um, we decided that's probably what we would do. And essentially, what does that mean? So what a rotation plasty is, so Nixon had his initial tumor, or the first one we found, was in his whole femur, so basically his whole thigh bone. So what they do is they cut off um, the top part of his femur, like kind of below his hips, mm -hmm. and then right below, they would cut right below his knee. And so what he... so. Basically, they take your whole leg off, but um, the leg that they keep is basically from, like, your shin and your calf down to your foot. And then they attach your shin and your calf back to where the previous um, femur was, but they turn it around backwards. Hmm. So his heel is, like, facing upwards because then it will flex like a knee would. So his ankle became his knee joint. Okay. Which is super mind blowing. We had to watch a few videos to like grasp what that was. Right. But afterwards, we were confident that for him being as athletic and outgoing that he was, we needed to have something that would give him the best ability to continue doing that. Whereas a complete amputation, it would have been so far up on his hip. Having him be so young, it would have been harder for him to get a prosthesis and be able to mobile and those type of things. Yeah. Now, I read something on Facebook that I, I thought was really cool about the way that you presented this to Nixon. What did you tell him about having to get his leg amputated and, and how did you help him make sense of that? So um, he, Nixon was a huge lover of anything military. He loved military to the core where he just wanted to be a SWAT guy from the beginning. So when we told him he had um, cancer, we told him, you know, it's kind of like an infection in your body and you have to take chemotherapy, which is like the soldiers and they'll go in and fight the infection. And that just made sense to him. Like, okay, chemotherapy is like my soldiers are going to go and fight the infection, which is an enemy mm -hmm. and um, fix my body. So then we followed along those lines as far as amputations go. And, um, since we knew about the amputation was coming up way before he did, we didn't tell him until just right before it because we didn't want him to worry about it and stress about it. Yeah, so that makes we, sense. Ex yeah, we explained it to him um, just like um, army guys are like, you know, sometimes army guys go into battle and they lose their limbs or they do something, but they don't stop fighting you know, they, it's okay. Like, it's not something that's bad or wrong. It's just something that happens and they figure out a way to continue on with their lives. Um, 
and we were lucky to have, um, we had an army guy come over who had his leg amputated and come and talk to him. We had um, two Paralympic, one was a skier and one was a snowboarder, come over and show, you know, their amputation you know, their amputated legs and their different legs and how you can do it and how this is cool. And we were able to um, show him like the Wounded Warrior Project and just things like that to introduce him to this different world that we wouldn't have originally, you know, been part of or known about to show him that, yeah, right now it might seem different or weird because you're a kid and you don't see a lot of people like that. But there's a lot of people like that and it's okay and it's not going to limit you. You can do whatever you want. Right. I love the way that you presented that. And I just, I'm sure it gave him so much comfort in being able to relate to that and these people that he looked up to so much and, you know, just make sense of something that would be incredibly hard for a child to go through. Yeah. And it totally was. And he took that and we just kept running with it. Like we would be like, oh, like he got a camo, a camouflage leg. Um, yeah. Um, and he just was like, I can't wait. I'm going to like hide a knife in my leg. I'm going to hide like a hand grenade in my leg when I'm in the army. So if anything happens, like I can pull a pin, I'll have something extra. Like he just thought it was the coolest thing. And we, we worked really hard to amp it up like it was because we didn't want him to feel like he was less or he was super like different because they're going through a lot and, you know, it was a good teaching thing to teach all of our kids just in general. Like, it doesn't matter if somebody looks different or talks different or sounds different. Like, you know, we're all the same. We're all, they're all just kids. Yeah. And it's not going to limit you. You can still do whatever you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So at this point with the leg amputation, did they give you a lot of hope that like, we'll do this and then he should be okay? Yeah, so we um, he started chemotherapy in February, so he did um, rounds of chemotherapy, and um, he had his amputation scheduled in May, and um, so at this point, he had his tumor in his leg, and then he had a bunch of little tumors in his lungs, mm. and um, so when we went, so by May, when we went to do his amputation, they'd done scans and they said his tumors in his lungs look great. They look like they're starting to shrink. So that's good. That means they're reacting to the chemotherapy also um, in his leg. So when they went to go do the, the amputation, they take a sample of the tumor in his leg and they they run it through this test called a necrosis, necrosis test. I'm probably saying that wrong, but basically it's um, a test to see like how much of the cancer cells die with the chemotherapy. So you want to get a high, high rate of that because then that means your odds of kicking the cancer is greater because it's obviously working with your specific body, the chemotherapy. So after we did his amputation, um, a couple of weeks later, we got the results in and he had like an 80% um, rate, which is great. I think it was maybe it was 85%. But anyways, anything above like 80 was awesome. And we were excited because we're like, yes, that means it's working. Like the cancer is getting killed by the chemotherapy. So, okay, we got the leg taken care of. That's done. The lungs are starting to shrink. Um, there was, we did plan into the future to have them do a surgery where the doctor could take the tiny little leftovers of the cancer out of his lungs. 
Mm-hmm. So we were like, hey, we're we're home free. This is awesome. Like the hard part's over. Like it's only going to get better from here. Yeah. And so that summer of um, 2018, it was great. I mean, we were, it was hard. Like he had to work so hard to recover from his surgery because it, it's a huge wound. I mean, it's all the way around his leg and dressings and it's just, it was really hard, but he did it and he worked really hard and he was able to get his prosthetic leg. And it was just, I mean, as hard as it was, it was like, there was a finish line, like, okay. Right. You had a plan and it was working. Yeah. So, so good. Um, when we did his scan for his surgery, we did find a little tumor on the top of his right shoulder. Hmm. And, um, the surgeon that was initially at primaries had moved over to California at, to one of those hospitals. So we had worked it out with him. that We were going to fly to California to have him remove this tiny tumor on Nixon's shoulder. And it was like three mil- millimeters. Like they were saying nobody would ever know that his arm was like three millimeters shorter than the other one. So awesome, super safe surgery. Um, we already got like permission through all of the insurances, everything cleared. So it was in August um, and we were getting some final scans to start scheduling when we could fly out to California and complete this other surgery. And then it's like, and we're done. And, like we're almost done. His inpatient chemotherapy was going to be stopping and we'd only have to do um, some chemotherapy pills at home. So and then maybe go to the clinic at the hospital for a couple hours. And so we were like running home free. We were so excited. So um, they did a scan on his arm just to double check and make sure the surgeon knew, you know, what the surgery was. And um, they came back and it was not great news. Um, They came back and they said the tumor in his arm, since we last scanned it, we scanned it in May. So then what, three months later, it had actually grown. And it wasn't even like double in size. It was like triple in size. Why he was getting chemotherapy. And so that was just like, wait, what? Because all this time he was doing chemotherapy and it was killing all these tumors. But then all of a sudden, this one tumor is growing while he's getting chemotherapy. Like the exact opposite of what needs to be happening. Yeah. And it was just, it was just like mind blowing, like, wait, what? Like, I, I don't get this. And so I was talking to our doctors and like, well, what does this mean? Like, we'll just, we'll just go cut it out. We'll still do the surgery. We'll just, we'll go cut it out. And that one will be gone. Like his leg one will be gone. And um, what the doctor explained to us is what his, um, his cancer keeps um, like, I don't know what the right word is like manipulating or keeps changing. Yeah. And so we'll get one chemotherapy to work and then it will mutate and change into a different type and change into a different type. And so, yeah, we could do that to his arm and we could go do that surgery, but then it could go to somewhere else. And then another point of his body, another point of the body. And it's like, at what point do you stop just cutting in to catch all these tumors everywhere? And they knew most likely it would continue to just spread to different areas because of the way that it was presenting, right? Yeah, correct. And the thing with um, bone cancer, unlike other cancers, is you have to physically go and, like, cut it out. And so you even, when they do the surgeries, they even have to go, like, a little bit 
greater, like make the cut a little bit greater than where the tumor is. Because if you leave just like a milliliter, a millimeter of space there, then the tumor can keep growing. So you have to cut, you just have to cut it out. You can't just leave it in there. Right. It can't just be treated with chemotherapy and it'll shrink and go away. Yeah, exactly. Which was like, wait, what? Yeah. So um, at that point, we're like, it was, we didn't know what to do. It was his birthday the next day. Mm. And so I'm like, this, this is going to be like his last birthday. Like you had accepted at that point, like you had lost the, the hope. I had a little bit of me had just been like trying to prepare, but then like kind of optimistic on the other side. So we had a big birthday bash. Um, we moved our make a wish trip up, which was, something that was crazy because at the initial time when we got admitted to the hospital or started doing all this, the social worker came and started talking to me about like make a wish trips. And I was like, well, he doesn't need to make a wish trip. These are like make a wish trips are for kids who are like terminally ill. Right. I'm like, and he doesn't have cancer. This was like before, like we had gotten all the results back and the social worker was so kind. He's like, yeah, we don't know yet, but we just wanted to process the papers. Like I was just, Mm just oblivious to all of it and so when we found out like okay his cancer is mutating it's starting to spread quicker um we just started to book all these trips for him and luckily we were able to get in contact with some really awesome foundations to help us fulfill some of those wishes but we were still um reaching out to other hospitals and meeting with our doctors and trying to figure out if there's any other treatment plans. And if we try this chemotherapy, what is the success rate? And if we do this. And so, so part of us was out playing and having fun and doing that. And then the other part of us was like researching all night, like what trials are going on? What, what are they doing in St. Jude's? What are they doing in New York? What are they doing all over the country with this type of thing? So, yeah. And I think especially as a mother, you, when you're faced with something like this, you've got to feel so helpless. And the only thing you probably felt like you could do was research and try to find out anything you could because you were so limited in what you could do. And here's your child and you, it's what you want to do is help your child. Yeah, that's exactly. And it's like, you're supposed to make these life changing decisions based on cancer, which you know nothing about. You don't have a doctorate. You have no clue about this. And it's, you know, it's just, it was really mind blowing, like what to do. And we didn't tell any of our kids at the time what was going on because the doctors didn't know if we didn't treat it, if he would have like, like one or three months. Yeah. And so we didn't know if he was even going to be around at Christmas. And so we just told our kids, Hey, you know what, we haven't gone on any family trips for a long time. We've been in chemo. We've missed out on a lot of things. Let's go so Let's go on some of these trips together as a family and just go have some fun. And so that's kind of what we told them all the while. My husband, Nick, and I knowing that we are literally like making his bucket list of dreams and wishes come true because he's never going to be able to do these as he grows up. I mean, the chances of it were 1% if that. Yeah. Um, so we did, he did start to have pain in his arm from the tumor. And so we did radiation with that and that did help with the pain. So he was able to still run and play and do all those things. And we just explained to him, Hey, 
the chemo is not working really great on this tumor, so we're going to do this other thing called radiation where it's basically like a laser that zaps and kills it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. Like we, we were just really vague with him because we didn't want him to worry and we didn't want him to think anything bad was going to happen because we didn't know how that would affect his psyche. Like if he was Yeah, you wanted him to keep fighting did. and living life as best he could. Yeah, because I think as adults, like if somebody was to tell us, hey, you're not going to be here in three more months, we would probably, a majority of people would be like, I'm done then. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do it. And we didn't want to put that predicament in his mind. Yeah. And yet um, I'm thinking it had to have been so hard for you as parents to, like on one side with experiencing these family trips and these, you know, bucket list items, you want to be so present and and enjoy every little moment. And then on the other hand, it had to have been so difficult to to be present and to knowing what you knew, you know? It really was. It was so exhausting, like mentally exhausting, like trying to take it all in or not be stressed and have it come out. Like sometimes I think of the times where I was like mad and I was yelling and I'm like, oh my gosh, like you just try your best. You really do. I mean, there's nothing you can... Nobody can prepare you for it. Nobody can tell you how to do it. You just, you just try your best. Take as many pictures and videos as you can and just try to have patience with everybody and everything because it was hard. It was. Yeah. You had other kids to take care of and you had to keep your spirits up for them. And yeah, that's. And yeah. And he wasn't going to school because he wasn't feeling well. Um, He he would like get tired and say like his legs hurt or because he was still trying to get used to his prosthetic. He couldn't walk all the way on it. So he had like this bike thing that he rode and he has crutches. And I think, I mean, he'd gone behind in school. And so I think just like more emotionally, like he was just kind of worn out. And I talked to his doctors and stuff and they're like, well, it doesn't matter if he passes first grade. It doesn't even matter. Maybe he'll make it to second grade. Like long term, it doesn't matter. And so I'm like, well, if he doesn't want to go, I'm just going to keep him home. But then it made a conflict because then his brothers are like, well, if he doesn't have to go to school, why don't we have to go to school? And right. Like, so I had to come up with things which basically they're like mom lies where you're like, you say something to your kids to kind of cover up what it is. And so I would just tell him, oh, he's gonna, he's doing online school right now or yeah. something like that sure. just because I couldn't let them know. It didn't matter if he finished first grade because it doesn't matter. And just kind of, yeah, just kind of make those mom lines up to make the world keep going. Yeah, for sure. So at, at some point you completely had to come to terms that Nixon was not going to get better and things escalated yeah. to, to that point. where you, So can you... Can you talk about that yeah, a little so bit? We, so pretty much fast forward, um, made it through Christmas. He was doing great. He was feeling great. His doctor was like amazed. He, he was just like, wow, Nixon, like you're amazing. So um, his initial tumor was in his left leg. So then his right leg started to hurt. And we're like, oh, my gosh, it's starting to spread. Yeah. And it was his. And so at first thing, you know, us were like, well, it's probably because he's compensating for his prosthetic. Right. <laughs> or this or that. And even like therapist and stuff was like it could be that and so we go in for scans again thinking that's what it is and more spots light up he has a tumor above his knee on his right leg he has a tumor um, by his ankle on his right leg he has a tumor up by his hip on his right leg so three more places and we're just like oh wow and 
our doctor was super great working with huntsmen and getting them to just radiate those places solely for pain and quality of life. I mean, all of us knew at that time, like it wasn't going to cure him. Right. But where the other aspects of his health was fine, like he wasn't sleeping a ton, like he would get tired and want to watch a, you know, a show or a movie in the afternoon, but that's typical, you know, kids when they're out playing and stuff, like he was still eating a lot. Um, so yeah, so we continue to radiate, um, and radiate those spots and he was doing great. Um, one thing about getting radiation that I don't know if people know, but they have to put little tattoos on you so they can line up the lasers perfectly huh. every time. Okay. Yeah, and, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, so that's really hard <laughs> trying to get your kid convinced that they're going to get these little tattoos. And he wasn't very happy having to get those. In fact, um, we talked, we convinced um, of that huntsman that we could just put like Sharpie markers, dots on it, and then put like clear band-aids because he... It'd have to be like at least four to five tattoos every area. And he was mm. just so scared. He did not want to get any more tattoos. It just hurt. And yeah. So anyways, we went and did all those weeks of radiation and he did good. He did great. So this was around springtime and he kind of started to have pain again. And so um, probably like around April or May of 2019, he started to have more pain. And so I started to give him um, some of his oxy, which I don't want parents to be shocked, but like when you're a cancer parent, you have a lot of pain medications and a lot of different medications on hand because these kids are going through so much. And so when they're not at the hospital, you're pretty much trained as a nurse, okay, how much you're supposed to give them, how often, and you you have it readily available for your kids for that purpose. So I started to give him oxy. I was regulated, you know, probably I think he was only having it once a day and stuff. And after a couple of weeks, like he was saying like, oh, my stomach hurts. And I'm like, oh, maybe you have a bug or something. And so we kind of went through that, seeing how he's doing. And then I was talking to his doctor and we brought him in because he said, was saying his stomach hurt. And so I kind of talked to his doctor and told him what's going on. He's like, well, let's x-ray it and just see if there's anything there. So we did an x-ray. And nothing showed up. And so he said, you know, he's probably constipated because that's one thing that narcotics do is they can cause constipation. Yeah. Which is huge when you're, you know, when you're a little kid and you're getting it. And I was felt so bad. I'm like, I'm so stupid. Like, I should have known, like, and been more paying attention. Like, as I'm giving him these. No. (laughs) I should have been doing it, you know. And so as a mom, you're like, duh, like, why didn't I pay attention? So, um. Um, so we kind of take him off of that, the oxy, and kind of just give him Tylenol and Motrin a little bit higher doses and start controlling his pain that way. And it still hurt, it still hurt. And we started treating it as constipation. Like he's constipated, like, and it was like a week, almost two weeks of trying to treat it. I was like texting other moms, like, what have you guys tried? This isn't working. Like he's still in so much pain. And, you know, they'd be like, sometimes it takes a couple of days talking to the doctor. Like we even went to the ER and it was like, those are probably one of my worst memories is having him be in so much pain and crying. And that's trying to help him thinking that it was constipation the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you're just, you're just trying and all of that would make sense. Yeah. You know, that, uh, 
oxy can cause that. And so, of course, your brain's just going to, it makes sense, logical sense. So, Totally. And so um, we finally were able, it was on the weekend, and my husband was like, I've had it. Like, this is not, like, this is, something is wrong. Like, this is, we're doing everything. This isn't working. I started him back on the oxy because he had so much like pain, you said, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. So I started in a box back. Um, we go to the ER up at primaries. It was late. And um, the on-call person who was there, we get admitted to the hospital. And we're like, just, you need to do something. We already did an x-ray. The x-ray sh- showed nothing. Like, we need to do like a CT or an MRI or something to figure out what's going on. And so... Um, Primary Children's is amazing. They have that available morning and night because, you know, these kids, they just, they need it. And so they go back and they take them back for a CT and they come back. And again, they're like, hey, can we talk to you outside of the room? And it's just always like, oh, crap. Like whenever they say that, you know, it's bad. It's not good. It's not good. And so she comes in and she's like, he has a tumor below his diaphragm and his soft tissue. And I guess, oh, I just knew at that time because I was a part of like some um, Facebook groups specifically with osteoarthrocoma because it's not a very popular childhood cancer. And so I needed to ask, you know, I'd asked around different symptoms and things. And so this one um, lady, she had, she's a scientist and her little boy passed away from osteoarthrocoma and she has like dedicated her life to, figuring out like gene sequencing and what's going on and things like that. And so I had been messaging her and like, Hey, this is what's going on with this cancer. This is what's going on. And so she was kind of telling me, Hey, this is what's going to happen when it gets to him not being able to live anymore. And I knew soft tissue. That was it. That Mm. was because as soon as it gets in there, it will just start spreading like wildfire. Um, and so at that point I was just like, Oh gosh, Great, we're here. Like, yeah, this is what I mean. We fought so hard. We've done so much, and I, I just couldn't believe it because I think a part of me still believed like maybe he could be that one percent. You know, maybe absolutely, maybe he could be that one that would, you know, would make it. Yeah, even with all those other things going on, every time we got scanned, I would think maybe they'll scan this time and it won't be there. Like, it will just be like a miracle. And you'll be like, we don't know what happened. It's not there. And, um, especially since we'd already lost one kid. Like I just thought, you're like, how much more can we go through? Yeah. I just thought there's no way God would take another one of our kids. Like we've already done that trial. We've already sacrificed. We've learned huge lessons through that. They're not going to, like, he's not going to do that to us again. Like, yeah, and I really did believe that up until we were at that that night at the hospital, and that then I just was like, okay, like here we go. And so we brought him home, um, got him on some pain medication. Um, he'd been getting hospice nurse come in once a week just to check vitals and just just keep updates on him and stuff. And so I texted her and kind of told her what was going on and. So we had to keep upping his pain medications. It was like, he was on like two, like oxycodone and oxycontin. And he was having to get it like every couple hours. And I'm like, he's in so much pain. Like, you know, and we upped it to what he could. And it's crazy because 
at the time, like, I think somebody was like, isn't that going to, like, destroy his liver? And I was like, like who cares? He's not going to make it. Yeah. He's not going to make it. It doesn't matter. Like, we're just trying to get him comfortable. And so, and he was um, so cute. Like, we pulled our boys out of school. This was in June. And we just told him, hey, Nixon's really sick right now. Um, we're going to have you guys just stay home and just be together as a family and stuff. And um, I think it was around then where we told him, we sat them down. I think we told him first and we said, hey, we're just like, hey, bud. We're like, we got to talk to you, mom and dad. And so, mm. oh, this is horrible. And so we, um, oh, can't even we just told him like, you know, you've done everything you could, buddy. And we all have fought so hard, but sometimes like every father has a different plan. It's yeah. like, our baby's passed away. It's cold. So we're like, just like cold. Like, you know, we have to come for a little time. And you now he gets to be in heaven. And we just told him, we're like, your camp's spitting. And there's, you know, we tried so hard, but you're going to die. And he just, his eyes, just, he was in disbelief. He's like, what? And we're like, yeah. Oh my gosh, sorry. And no, I mean, just <laughs> uh, unbelievable. I don't know how how you got through that whole thing, just saying those words to your kid and having them try to understand and just so hard, so hard. It was like I, one of the hardest things to tell your kid, like, they're going to die. And they're like, wait, what? Like, they've done everything you're supposed to do, like. He never complained about taking his medicine. Um, he had to wow. get shots daily for a while. Like, he never complained. He would be like, I, I'm scared or I don't want to do it or it hurts, but he'd always do it. Like, yeah. Always, he just always did what he had to do to get better. Like, and so it was so hard to explain to him that, you know, it was nothing he did or didn't do. It's just things that are happening. So, um, we tried to like comfort him and be like, if you're going to still see us, you know, you can see us whenever you want. You're going to be yep. up there with your brother, you know, any of the pets we've had. And then, um, having to tell his brothers was, mm. we had them come in and we told them and they, mm. they just broke down because I mean, they're brothers. But one thing that we've always instilled in them is like, you know, you're a team and you're family and you love each other no matter what. Yeah, you fight and everything, but they truly do have love for one another. And they are the bestest friends. All four of them would be outside playing, two on a team and everything. Yeah. And it was just heartbreaking. So um, the weeks kind of came by and stuff and we decided to put, or not the weeks, but um, later we decided to put um, connective to morphine because he was in too much pain. And the good thing about that is the pain would be subsided. Um, it would be regulated, and he would um, be able to just get morphine directly to his blood, blood supply so we didn't have to give him his pill and then wait for it to come, you right. know, wait for the pain to cease. The bad thing about that is because now that he's not having to worry, you know, the pain isn't keeping him up and awake, then he just is more asleep sleepy and that's exactly what happened we got him connected to the morphine and um he he basically was just kind of sleepy and out of it and for like two or three days and then we were able to tell like the signs of when somebody's body is starting to pass away and 
he passed away at home with all of us, and it was mm. it was horrific. I mean, it was good, but it's just something you wouldn't wish on your enemy. Like no. having to watch your child like no. pass away is is horrendous. It it is honestly the toughest challenge I can ever imagine a, a parent facing. There's nothing greater than that. Yeah, it was. I mean, I don't think about it often. Yeah. Because it, it, I mean, yeah, it's peaceful and you love them and those type of things, but it really was just horrible. It was, it's something that, you know, it should never happen. You should never have to do that. So, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your grief journey and what that has been like for you? It has been a roller coaster. Um, Shortly after Nixon passed away and we had his funeral, we had a big um, baseball tournament planned in New York for our oldest son. And so, so much of our life had been put on hold and cast aside trying to deal with this cancer. And we wanted to just go and enjoy it and, you know, celebrate our older son and his accomplishments and stuff. So we did that and that was nice because we could physically just pick up from this world where we were all the grief and all the sadness and just go away. And I mean, that was good. It was bittersweet. Um, but it really, it's been hard. I think obviously it's been hard, but it's kind of the same. Like when your kid has cancer, like the rest of the world revolves and goes around and you're kind of stuck in this mode of just caring for them and fighting for them. And your whole purpose is to keep this kid alive, you know? Yeah. And, and then after the fact, it's kind of like you're kind of stuck in another mode and everybody else's life keeps going around and you're just still stuck. Like, I just remember thinking, why are people laughing and smiling? Yeah. Like, I don't get it. Like, how can people be so happy? Because I, I, I had lost my joy. Like, um, For sure. For sure. I was at the hospital with him almost every night. We spent so much time together. Um and so it really was like losing a best friend. And so it was hard. I mean, and it still is hard not having not having him here. I mean, there are times you're just angry and mad. I mean, I think people hear about the grief cycle and I'm like, Yes, been through that a thousand times where you get angry, you get mad, you get sad, you get depressed, like just over and over and over again, just again and again. And it's not even just like the big things because people are well-meaning, but they always say, oh, around the holidays, that's when it's really going to be hard. And it's like, no, it's every aspect where he would have been intertwined throughout normal days. That's when it's just as hard too. Like, yeah. Driving by a hospital that you used to always go to for physical therapy or going to his favorite restaurant or anything. It's like, no, every single part of our life that he was involved or that was a part of him, that's hard. Like, that's just as hard. For sure. And I think that's a very good message to put out there that we need to, you know, as friends and family of people that have lost someone to not just remember them around the holidays, but to just, you know, if if you ever feel that little something in your gut that you should reach out to someone who's suffered loss, do it on just a normal day because you just never know when it's going to hit, you know? Yeah, totally. That's so true. And like people will be like, I don't want to bring this up to make you remember. And I'm like, 
I think of him every day, all day long. Like, it's not like you're going to bring something to me and be like, oh, wait, did he just pass away? Like, no, I know that. So do, do tell me, do talk about him because, you know, those are that you still want those memories and his life to live on. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, you know, one thing that I think has been really inspiring with your journey is the fact that you started the Nixon Strong Foundation and people have just grasped onto that like crazy and and supported that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, we were able to go um, do some trips with him and um, fulfill a lot of his memories, some foundations that reached out to us and help us do things because it's just, you want to try to do everything you can for your kid when you've reached that point and fulfill any of their bucket list. And sometimes you can't do it. And so we had a lot of people reach out and help us in that way. And um, I was just so grateful. And so um, before Nixon passed away, we talked about, hey, we, let's do a foundation. Let's help other kids and their families do this. Let's, you know, we can send them on trips. Um, we can help them get really cool prosthetics, you know, things like that. And he was like, yeah, this, let's do it. And so we started naming the foundation, getting the logo ready with him and stuff. And he was really excited to be a part of it. Um, my husband and I knew <laughs> He wasn't going to be a part of it long term, but we still wanted him to, you know, have that part of it with us. Yeah, I so, love that um, he was a part of creating it, you know, and that he did play such a critical role in in founding it. Yeah, and he loved, like, he loved to care. He cared about other kids. Like, one time when we were at the hospital, we went and bought little toys and handed all around the hospital for other little kids to find. And he thought that was, like, one of his favorite days is, when we were inpatient, like going around, sneaking around all the floors of the hospital, just hiding toys so that other kids can find them when they were there. So he had a huge heart and loved doing things like that. So um, we started the foundation um, in honor and after him to help um, cancer families and their kids just with this whole cancer journey. Um, it, I never realized how much it took a toll on the family until we were in it. And I think that's with anything in life. You never know what somebody's going through until you're a part of it or you've gone through it yourself and then Absolutely. your eyes are opened. Yeah. And we, my husband and I didn't feel, we become friends with enough people in the family and the community and the hospital. And we didn't feel like we could just turn our backs and forget about them and their needs. We wanted to be there and help them through this and fight their fight with them and let them know, like, you guys aren't alone. Like, we're going to help you with this. We, we might not be able to help cure your child, but we're going to help you with other, any way we can. So um, with the foundation, we have kind of a lot of different aspects to it. Um, one of the ones that we do is wish trips where, I mean, a lot of people know about Make-A-Wish and Make-A-Wish is amazing. They are an awesome foundation. What happens is a lot of these kids will relapse and they'll have cancer for like five or six years. Mm -hmm. And so they went on their wish trip maybe in year one, but come year five, that family still needs to get out and go away somewhere together. And it's hard sure. to do that when you're paying medical bills and you're in the hospital. Or we have circumstances where kids become like Nixon, where they're terminal. And these families want to fulfill these wish trips for these kids. But it's hard. You know, it's hard to go on one family trip every couple of years, let alone trying to fulfill these other ones. And so 
we'll find out what's one of their kids' wishes, and we'll send that family on a trip together because they need to be together. And that's the other yeah. thing. Like when families have a child with cancer, they're separated. Usually a parent and the child is up at the hospital and the other parent is at home with the kids and they don't see each other. Yeah, that's a really and good point. Normal to make. life is just broken up and just just those normal things I think we take for granted it's just isn't there anymore. And so with the trips, we try to help fulfill that. Um, we also do things as far as like helping with medical bills. Um, one big thing people assume is if you have insurance, you're you're okay, like it will get covered. Mm -hmm. And sometimes with cancer, it won't. I know a friend and her, um, one of her child's drug medications wasn't covered. The insurance company didn't deem it necessary. And so she was left with $1,000 to pay every month for this child's medication. Wow. And just dumb things like that, that people don't realize. They just think, oh, they have insurance, they're okay. Or like, um, like having to meet deductibles, like a family might meet that year one, but then they have to meet that deductible year two and year three. And it just, it weighs on them. Yes. Yes. And add that to all of the emotion and the grief that they're going through. It's just, it's got to be so exhausting. It is so exhausting. And some families, you know, will have two parents work and then one can't work because they have to be with the kid at the hospital. And right. so then their income gets cut in half. And so yeah. there's just so many situations. Um, that can be taken care of. Another aspect that we um, are doing is helping with prosthetics, um, trying to get some of these state-of-the-art prosthetics to the, ki to the kids right away because right now they're limited by what the insurance will allow. But if you were to give a kid a better prosthetic, higher-end, lighter weight, right from the get-go, they'll be able to be like a normal kid quicker in terms of like being able to run and function better than if you were to just give them your standard thing. So yeah. with Nixon, they were allowing like one foot or like one um, prosthetic, like for every like six months to a year. Well, they're kids and they're growing and, you know, they need different things and different aspects. And so that's one thing that we want to work with other companies here locally in Utah to get these kids moving quicker and moving sooner and give them the state of the art things that they need to fulfill their life dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely then, love it. The last one that we do is um, we help pay for funeral costs for families because that that's just, nobody wants to do. No. Nobody wants to pay for it. I mean, you have to pay for it and you need to pay for it and you want to pay for it, but it's kind of like a gut punch. Like you would do anything for your kid. And I think all of us would, do anything for our kids. We would go to the ends of the earth and kind of a gut punch when you do that and it still doesn't work. And then you have to have this added bills on it. It just, it's a gut punch. And so we go ahead and we take care of those bills for those families. So they don't have to worry about thousands of dollars. Yeah. To bury it's their so, so expensive. And like you said, I think that in your mind, when you're fighting something and you've got that hope that, you know what, this is really financially challenging and emotionally challenging, having the hope that it's going to help your kids, you're like, okay, whatever we got to do, we got to do to help our child. But when that has failed and then you're left with that, the funeral costs, I mean, it's just like, that's the last thing in the world you want to pay for. And it, and it is extraordinarily expensive. I've I've seen families not be able to, give their child 
a headstone or the headstone that they would like to. It's just, it's just like I said, a cost that no one wants to have to. That is exactly bear. it. Yeah, that's exactly. So yeah. our foundation kind of covers a lot, but it's just for immediate needs, um, immediate needs. So we'll even do like care packages to families just to help cheer them up. I mean, they're not big things. And sometimes I don't think adults realize, but when you're a kid and you've been stuck in the hospital for weeks, getting a package of your favorite toy is awesome. And it helps the mom, it helps the parents, it helps the kids. You know, it just helps them try to cope with what's going on in their life. Sure. So how can people donate to Nixon Strong? How can they be a part of it? And how can they be a part of it if they're a family that needs some help? So um, you can go, so we have a website, so nixonstrongfoundation.org, and you can go on there to donate. We have some shirts and bracelets and all that fun things there. And then if you need help, you can email. There's um, a button there where you can click on, and you can reach out to us and just kind of tell us what's going on, what you need help with, and we will be able to help you and get whatever needs to be done taken care of. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Janessa, you know, I, these situations are so tough because I don't know what the right words are to say to you. And I'm sure so many times it just is like, this doesn't make sense. And like you mentioned earlier, I don't know why God gives people challenges like he does or why certain people go through way more difficult things than other people do. And I don't even know if, if, if it's God's doing, I don't, I can't make sense of so many things, but I just, I just applaud you for just getting up every morning and taking care of your kids and continuing to push forward and to, you know, um, starting things like the Nixon strong foundation and just doing everything that you can to keep your beautiful little boy's memory alive and to help other people. I just think that you have inspired so well, many thanks. and and you've certainly inspired me. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I thanks for letting me share his story. That's the greatest honor and greatest mm-hmm. gift. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 